0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. And you are listening to On This Walk, the show that helps men rediscover their unique path to true freedom. My name is Luke Iorio. I've spent the last two decades in the human potential industry, helping, teaching, coaching thousands of people to create a more fulfilling, deeply aligned life. It's my mission to reawaken and reconnect men to the joy, purpose, and peace that will help you to become who you aspire to be for yourself, your loved ones, and those that you lead. We're going on a slightly different journey today. It's a new mythic one, actually, that asks us to wrestle with personal and collective questions of how did I and how did we get here? How do we return to the essential nature of who I am and who we are? And men, what do we need to come to face within ourselves to restore the embodied, conscious, masculine leadership that we're meant to hold? Today, I'm joined by a unique guest, colleague and friend. By day, he's a tradesman. A lightning protection master installer but by evening he's a powerful songwriter and musician and by soul he's a truth seeker and in the midst of all this he does some coaching too he has an unwavering commitment to finding and living his purpose and understanding why am i here what am i here to give questions that may sound familiar to you i first met ryan Pauling several years ago in a retreat i was facilitating he was at one of a few key turning points in his life And we stayed in touch in a variety of ways through these years. And recently, he shared with me a story that stopped me in my tracks. It wasn't an everyday, you won't believe what happened to me kind of thing. It was something deep. It was coming through with meaning being held within each turn of the story that he was revealing.
1: I realized that so much of what I was running away from in my life was this joy. This joy that was growing inside of me. And I'm still experiencing it today.
0: As we go into today's walk, Brian is still sitting with this story, deciphering its meaning to him and to others. In fact, you're going to even hear us get into the story, its meaning and the real-time processing. And after this, I'd love to know what this story has held for you. Drop me a DM on any social. It's D, as in Daniel, Luke Iorio on Facebook or on Instagram. D, Luke Iorio. Or join the On This Walk community on Facebook and join the conversation. Now, let's go on this walk with Ryan Pauling and returning the truth. Ryan, man, I want to uh, welcome you to On This Walk. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Me too, Luke. Thanks for having me here. I was sharing a little bit in the introduction, but we'll get into some of this today. But it's interesting because you and I, our journey kind of began through a previous podcast that I had, as well as a retreat that you attended and so we've gotten a chance to know each other in a few different ways over the course of quite a few years now. And that's where some of this actual conversation is born from, our own private conversations of what's been unfolding within our lives. And before we get to that, before we get to the main event as to why you're here today, I wanted to just kind of give you the chance to, to share a bit about yourself with everybody so they can get to know you. So let me maybe toss it up or, or tee you up this way of what is an experience or a couple of experiences that you've been through in your life that have really shaped you into who you are today?
1: Mm, That's such a good question. One of the main experiences that comes to mind is the struggle that I went through to buy my house that I currently live in and the land that I currently live on. I was a workaholic more or less for 10 years before I bought this piece and i i thought that when i bought this house everything was going to be great and all my problems were going to disappear and i would be able to take it easy and things would get easier and a couple months into living here i noticed i was driving on the road up here and the roads are beautiful in new hampshire and but i remember being stuck behind this slow driver and this aggravation started welling up in me and i was like where is this coming from i thought this was gone i moved i got my house like and i realized that all the problems that I was facing in my life were inside of me. Mm. And I think that was a very catalytic moment in my life to start to really dive in deep to there's got to be something more than what I've been living for for the last 10 years. Before that, I was more or less a, a dumb kid, and I didn't really have any awareness of anything. But I had this mission of buying this house. And when that mission was accomplished, it was like I felt so empty. And so I really started to dive into your other podcasts and other podcasts and reading books and trying to figure out like, what am I missing? There's a hole inside of me that I'm trying to fill. And I thought this house would fill it and it didn't.
0: It takes a little further than into the journey that that kicked off. Like you said, it was, you know, maybe some podcasts, it was reading books, it was some retreats. Tell us a little bit about what that next stage of the winding journey has looked like for you
1: it was a lot of unraveling. So I, I was divorced shortly after. So I, I married my first ex-wife before we bought this house. And then within a year of us getting this place, I was divorced. As I dove into myself and I started to face emotions and things that I had you know, largely put to the side as I was working to get this place, I realized that I was really by being a workaholic and having this mission, I was running from all of those things. And so as I started to unravel those things, I started to grow a lot and my first ex-wife wasn't on the same path. And so we, we grew apart very quickly because I just dove right in. <laughs> Since then, I, I've been married and divorced again. I've lost all of my financial wealth very recently. My band that we were working on for four years and putting a lot of heart and soul and effort into that ended as well. To sum up, the the journey since then has been a lot of deconstruction of my life. And that that has unearthed a lot of pain and grief. And it's unlocked a lot more questions. You know, the more questions that I ask, the more questions come. And it's it's given me a lot of things to consider as far as how I've lived up to this point and how so much of that has not been. It's been for my highest good in a way, mm. but it it's also been a mechanism for me to stay in control. There was a lot of external pieces that validated my sense of like I'm on the right path. Yeah. When all those external pieces were taken away all but my house, it was like okay, I got to give up some control here and lean into mm-hmm. what life has in store for me instead of what I think. It's been a deconstruction period since then.
0: So, let me ask you one more one more question before we, we get into this unbelievable story that I would like you to share today. I think this last question here that I've got for you is that through all this deconstruction, through the losses that you have experienced, and it's like you said, all these major external markers within your life, relationship, money, things like that, have fallen away in all these different ways. How do you find yourself... Kind of where you are today in terms of your way of being. And let me just preface this with because I know you, you know, from not from here, but from conversations and, and many conversations now outside of, of any forums like this. And I know that there is still this curiosity and this joy and this love that is still present in all aspects of who you are. But if somebody just heard what you just shared, It'd be more of a, man, how's this guy still walking? (laughs) Look at what he's been through. Yeah. And so I was wondering if you could just kind of comment on with all that deconstruction, with all the loss, what is it maybe that you're connecting to now or finding now that's giving you these incredible seeds that are growing into something new?
1: Yeah, thank you for that question. It's really this feeling that I have that, I am here for something great, something greater than myself, some form of service to mankind. And life is showing me that as things that I have created have fallen away, I'm getting bits and pieces of this bigger vision of how I'm here to serve and how how through this whole, all of this deconstruction, all of this loss, all of this pain, how I have been divinely held by life itself. And it's almost like you know, that story, the footprints in the sand, how you know, mm. spirit has carried you through all these times. You're sitting there and you're like, where are you? <laughs> and yeah. meanwhile, you're like a baby in spirit's arms, you know, just <laughs> being held through all this stuff. And I could go into a million different signs and stories of how I've experienced that, but it's really just this strong belief that is, has come into me. That I am here for something way bigger than myself. And there's a faith and a trust that's tied into that, that I'm struggling to lean into, but also mm-hmm. leaning into. You know, different parts mm-hmm. of me are doing different things.
0: What I hear, though, in the energy behind what you're saying, and correct me if you see this different, is that previously when there was a lot more control, there was a lot more working not only to stay away from certain issues, but working because I'm going to get ahead. I'm going to create it. I'm the one who's you know, going to drive all of this. What I hear is even in potentially that so-called bigger role to play, what I'm hearing though, is that you're asking a question of what is life asking of me as opposed to what is it that I'm getting out of life and what is life bringing me?
1: Yeah. What am right? I taking from life? Yeah. It's, it's about what can I give to life? Yeah. That's that's kind of the transition that I'm in right now and there's still parts of me that are like well I got to hold on to this you know because I've held on to that for the last 20 years and that's kept me mm-hmm. safe and then there's parts of me that are just like just let go just let go you know you've been forced to let go of all these big things these little things are nothing <laughs> let yeah. go of these ideas let go of these ways of being that that really aren't serving you or the planet
0: you know when you make a switch like that one of the things that it speaks to and and for everybody to understand this is you're making this switch that directly puts you kind of face-to-face with one of our greatest fears, which is, will my needs be met? And it's, I mean, at the end of the day, our fears basically come down to kind of two varieties. Are my needs going to be met? And what am I going to lose? Well, you've been through the loss part. <laughs> <laughs> You're phasing that right, yeah. and making this switch, we start to ask, you know, how are my needs gonna be met if I if I surrender in this way? If I pay attention to where it is that life seems to be guiding me, as opposed to what we've always been taught, we've got to go create it, we got to get ours. It's a total different orientation. And yet, as you have experienced, you've achieved some of the things that you wanted to achieve, only to find out that that wasn't it, that that was not going to provide you what it was that you wanted. And when all of a sudden the deconstruction was there, they fell away because they weren't supposed to be there anymore. And yeah. so you've experienced that. However, interestingly, your land is still there. So yeah, we'll leave, that, <laughs> we'll, leave we'll leave that one as a as an ellipsis. <laughs> My
1: land, yeah. Yes, no. should,
0: yes, the land that you get to to care for. Let me say it that way. I do want to switch gears because I, I I want to just give ample time to why I asked you specifically to be on the show today. Aside from the fact that we could dive into so much of what you've already brought up for the next hour, but Another gentleman that we kind of circle with, as it were, you shared a story of something you connected to very recently. And I received this in a very, very powerful way. I mean, it was to me, it was as if you had almost lived through and kind of rediscovered an old mythical story in the way that this seems to have come through. And so I wanted to give you the space and to to say, first, set a little bit of the scene of like, how did this even unfold? Where were you? What was going on? I know that a lot of this centered around some back pain you were experiencing. So let us know like what the scene was and and give us an orientation there. And then tell us what unfolded. Tell us what it is that came through and take us through the story.
1: One of the things I've struggled with is caring for my body and you'll see how that ties into this story. I've been making an effort and I've been having massages done regularly. I work physically for a living. I've been in construction for years and I have not historically taken the best care of myself while asking so much of myself. And so I I started going through these massages and, you know, the first 2-hour massage I had, she worked on my left arm. That was it. <laughs> like that's how knotted up my body's been so a lot has come out of these massages. And it's interesting. I, my massage therapist is pretty talkative. And so one time I I asked her, she was working on my lower back and I said, you know, I feel like something is going to come out of this. I, I would like some silence. And so she's working on my lower back and, you know, I have a really high pain tolerance whenever she's working on other parts of my body. I'm like, get in there, go harder, you know, get that deep muscle unlocked. But as soon as she put her elbow into my lower back, it was like my whole torso felt like it was going to explode. And I was like, oh my God, this is insane. So I had to tell her to back off. And so she continued to work on my lower back for the, the entire rest of the session. And there was this song that came on as she was doing this. And for some reason, it just kind of hit me. And I said, who, you know, what song is this? So she told me, and I put that in my back pocket for later. And I got home that night. And, you know, you would think after you get massage work done, your body is going to feel pretty good, you know, loosened up. But my back was screaming at me, you know, where she had just been working. And so I was trying to do my regular transcendental meditation and I, I couldn't do it. And I was just like, I need to go into this pain in my lower back. I need to bring my consciousness there and see what wants to come out. And what happened over the next two weeks was pretty incredible and so i I went into my lower back with with all of my consciousness, and I said, "What are you trying to show me?" And I saw a man, a beautiful man, I mean like what you would think of as just a divine human being, very godlike man, a very loving man, very benevolent man and I see him playing in the field with his daughter, and his wife is sitting there. You know, beside him, laughing, they're having a beautiful, joyous time and so it paints a picture of just this blissful existence on earth and then all of a sudden, everything kind of went dark, and every everybody kind of you know disappeared and I see this man walking through this town center, this town square, and he's he's you know he went to the grocery store or something, but you know we're talking hundreds of years ago, so he probably went to the apothecary and got some herbs. <laughs> And then all of a sudden, he sees all these people rushing past him to the town square. And there's this buzzing going on. He doesn't know what's happening. And so he follows the crowd. And to his absolute horror, he sees his wife and daughter inside a cage in the town square. And they're they're lighting the cage. There's wood all inside the cage and around the cage. And they're lighting the cage on fire. And so his wife and daughter had been accused of witchcraft. And this man, you know, he tries to do something. He, you know, pushes through the crowd. He's pulling on the bars. He's trying to get his wife and daughter out of that cage. And the fire is getting bigger and bigger. And, and so he has to back away or he's going to get burned. And, and he watches helplessly in horror as his wife and daughter burns alive inside this cage. And you can just imagine the pain in this man. As everyone in the town squares is jeering against, you know, his wife and daughter, and they're praising the fact that they're burning and, and he just can't believe it. He can't understand why this is happening. And so he goes to his mother, who seems to be his only surviving family member other than his son, but his, you know, older family, there's no aunts or uncles. I would assume his father is passed because the mother that I saw was a very old. And he goes to his mother to tell her what happened, and to get, you know, some consolation to be held, to be loved, because no one else gave it to him. And again, to his horror, she completely denied him. And she said, "You shouldn't even be sorry. They were witches. You shouldn't be sad. They deserve to die."
2: And you know, you shouldn't even be feeling what you're feeling.
1: And so this man who just lost his wife and daughter in this fiery cage, he is now rejected by his mother. He doesn't even know why all this happened. And what I unearthed recently as I keep sitting with the story is the thought that must have been present for him was, I don't know why all this love was taken away from me and denied to me. I must be unworthy.
2: And so he walked out of this house and
1: just a completely broken man. This beautiful, loving, caring, benevolent man was completely shattered. And as I sat with him for two weeks, every night after work, I would put on this song that I heard in in the massage and it would unearth more of the story. And so I see this man walking and he's walking as a wretch and he's dragging this huge club behind him, his right hand. And the weight of this club, he won't let go of it. And he's, his spine is beginning to hunch over and his clothes are turning to rags. And he's becoming this more of a creature than a man. And he's trying to fill this pain, this hole that's been created inside him. He's trying to fill it. He's trying to find that love that was denied to him, that was taken away from him. And so he he becomes very destructive you know he's trying all of these ways to fill this void and so he he turns to women and he turns to alcohol and he turns to drug and he becomes an abuser he becomes even more of a wretch he becomes disgusting and not caring and not loving and very just a destructive creature and all the while there's this part of him that sees what's going on and this part of him is so small at this point. This loving, benevolent, caring part of him is still there, but it's so small. But it says, we can't do this anymore. This isn't right. We can't keep destroying everything. It's not helping. And so he takes himself to the cage in the town square that his wife and daughter were buried in. And he, he locks himself inside and he throws away the key because he didn't want to hurt people. He didn't want to destroy things. And so this wretch locked himself away. And all the while, there's kind of this side note of the story that this man has a son. And he abandoned his son to walk the earth as a wretch.
2: So we can see how the the wound gets passed down generation
1: to generation. And so as I was sitting with this man, listening to this song and I was loving myself during this, this period. I was getting massages every week. I was eating well. I was taking salt baths almost every night, and just kind of pampering myself. And so I'm in a salt bath and I'm listening to this song and I'm, I see this man in this cage and I, I go up to the cage and I see this wretch and he's huddled in the corner and he's got his club with him. And I say, you know, you didn't do anything to deserve this. This isn't about you. Life happened you're not unworthy because of this. And so for the next week or so, every night after work, I would get in the salt bath and put this song on and I would give love to this man. And I would say, you know, things like, you are so worthy of love, just because it was taken from you doesn't make you any less of a man, any less of a person worthy of that. And so over time, he started to converse with me in the cage and we would have conversations and he came over and kind of sat next to me and I said, I'm going to let you out of this cage and we can walk together. And so I let him out of the cage and you know, this wretch stood up and he got his club with him and he's dragging it along with us and we're talking and we're walking through the town. and And as we're talking and walking over the next few days, he started to look more human. His clothes became a little less torn up and and dirty and his back started to straighten out and he started to walk a little bit taller and this went on for a few days and as we kept doing this he kept looking more and more human and eventually he was you know walking up straight and his clothes were simple but normal clean and so we got to this fence post this gate to this farm field, this beautiful wheat field, and it had a big oak tree in the in the center on top of the hill. Something you'd see in a postcard.
2: And I saw him smile for the first time. And I said, "Oh
1: my God, you're smiling! That's amazing." And I I look back towards the town, and I'm just like, "Wow, look at this journey we've been on." And I turn back and I look at him standing at the gate, and he's no longer dragging this club he's walking with a staff in his hand or he's standing
2: with a staff in his hand. And I'm like, your club's gone.
1: <laughs> and he's like, now I'll walk with me. So I walk with him. We walk through this gate and we're walking up in this field with the big oak tree in there. We're walking up towards the tree on the top of the hill and we're talking and there's so much love being exchanged between the two of us. And I look back, sun setting behind us, and I look back, look at the sunset, and I see men starting to follow us into this field. And the first man I see is my father. And then I see his father and his father before him. And then I start to see all of these men from different time periods, different generations, wearing all these different clothes. There's people dressed like I am today. There's people dressed from a thousand years ago. And all these men just gathering behind us and it turns into thousands of men walking behind us in this field. And I'm just amazed. And I turned to this man who's walking next to me and I was like, oh my God, look at all these men. They're all following us. And he said,
2: I've led them long enough. Now you lead them. And he gave me a staff and he started to float up into the
1: sky. And I was like. I don't know if I can do this. I'm just a guy. (laughs) I don't know how to lead all these men. I don't know if I'm strong enough. And he said, you're strong enough because I made you that way.
2: And so I turned and I looked at all these men and that was it. That was quite
0: a story, Ryan
1: pretty profound to come out of a muscle in your lower back.
0: to <laughs> <laughs> say, all, all that from an emergent pain in, in your back, in your lower back. I think the first thing that I want to ask you is, you know, and I know that this story has revealed itself to you not all that long ago, right? This is all fairly recent. But in, in the time that you have had to sit with this since, what does the story mean to you today?
1: I look at it for myself. And also for the human collective. And what I see happening in my own life right now is this the story of the man trying to fill himself, trying to fill some kind of void that's inside of him that he doesn't understand. And I've done this with sex and alcohol and being a workaholic. And I see the collective and the way that we have destroyed and dishonored the earth the way that we have just taken and taken and taken, the lack of trust. And so I see this this period of this wretchedness that was birthed from this pain. I don't know if there was a pain in my own life that started this. I think this was before I was even born. Mm -hmm. But I see this collectively as the time of the wretch is coming to a close. And Mm -hmm. it's time to start living in a completely different way and it's time to start leading in a completely different way so that generations after us learn to honor the earth learn to respect her learn to respect their fellow man and women something that i feel has been very small there's been a very small percentage of people living like that up to this point and i feel like we're in a time of a greater awakening of people beginning to realize how we have lived, how destructive it's been, how we want to change and mm-hmm. move towards something different. And I see that happening in a micro level in my own life of how I've struggled and been a workaholic. And now I'm, I'm like, there's got to be a different way. you know. Mm-hmm. I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't want to hurt people. Mm-hmm. I don't want to hurt myself. I don't want to have all these painful massage experiences because my body is completely overworked and not honored. Although this one was pretty great. So. <laughs> That's what it means for me.
0: I want to come back to some of the questions, some of the points you just brought up and it leads to some other questions, but I want to go through the story a little bit before we get to some of those. Let's start here of, as you've you know sat with different elements of this, there's a lot of symbology that is throughout the course of, of this story that you share. And I think one of the first things I want to go to is asking you, you know, what is it that stands out to you? Or what what may it represent to you the loss of his mother and daughter, or his wife and daughter?
1: Mm. I've sat with this. I actually wrote out all the individual parts of this story. And I've had a lot of stuff going on in my own life. I haven't been able to sit with it the way I really want to. Mm. But what I've gotten so far is that that moment is the representation of a great pain something cataclysmic that happened in someone's life that you know and we could look at that collectively as well that changes the trajectory of what was happening and so that you know we, we see this beautiful benevolent caring loving man very strong very protective easily providing everything that his family could ever want and need and it's a joy to him to do so and then this event happens and it completely changes him. Yeah. So almost takes him from the light side to the dark side. The
0: shadow. Yeah. It's interesting because it, as you described it originally, was that he goes from this scene where kind of everything is light. He's just going off to the store or whatever. And then all of a sudden everything goes dark. And he follows the town as they're running to the town square. right? And is that enters into the shadow, if we use that, because I, I think that's part of a you know a, a clear symbol that that seems to be there is moving from light to shadow, from conscious to unconscious, however we want to name this. And to me, at least the first thing that struck me is it feels like it's a moment of not just great loss, but it's specifically to me, it symbolized the loss of the divine feminine and the break between, you know, what has become from a a stereotypical standpoint, so let me be clear here, from a stereotypical point, what has become the archetype of the modern man, which is the over-dominance of masculine traits and no integration of the rest of of who it is we are and part of that being the feminine. And so it feels like there's this disconnection, this breaking of union, right? Mm -hmm. It actually is occurring. And when we break that union, and we break the balance of, of what any of us are, but specifically to the journey of a man. And we break from all of these parts, including the parts that are feminine, not women, not female, but feminine in the way I'm describing this energy-wise, it sends us into a place that we're no longer feeling whole. We feel empty. We feel something's missing. And there's that part, and, and I think rather appropriately, you even said it before, of that loss of love that's experienced. And how many men are out there you know, in whatever your journey's been and whatever self-awareness work you've done or not done or whatever can recognize how much as men, we tend to have been hardened. We tend to have issues with the way that we show love and the way that we open up and relate to and be vulnerable even in the space of love, how freely we tend to give it. And we can think of that in terms of our own relationships. We can think of that in terms of, You know, our fathers, as well as our sons, and how well and how easy and how well does it flow? More often than not, we'll see areas within our life where it's really, it doesn't flow well. And we feel very, very disconnected from that. So, anyway, there's that part of the story to me. That's what I got out of it. It may not be what you got out of it, it might not be what other listeners get out of it, but at least that's what starts to stand out for me.
1: I want to thank you for, again, giving me this opportunity to tell this and then also expanding on it with what it meant to you because. There are universal aspects that are coming through the story. The more I sit with it, the more that I talk about it, the more comes out of the story. And so one of the things that I've been working on personally with a mentor of mine is Mm -hmm. this feeling like I can never have her. And I mean, her with a capital H, the divine feminine, Mm -hmm. like you were talking about before. And we notice in the story that he loses his wife, his daughter, and his mother the only three aspects of the divine feminine that you can have in your immediate family, right? And so he's denied by his mother and he's denied the love that he experienced with his wife and daughter as they were taken from him. And we see in our culture, the ultra domination that you talked about, basically taking from the earth as the divine mother. It's almost like we're trying to spite something, right? Because of this pain that we're not willing to feel. And so I see that as well, but you're absolutely on point. I took this as coinciding with my own journey of this wound of, I can never have her and that kind of coming out of this story too. And when I talked about this with my other mentor and we kind of put these together, I was just like, Oh my God, like this is huge.
0: I'm still kind of sitting with that. I think it does still tie into, you know, once we have kind of broken union from parts of who we are and broken from the sacred feminine as it were, is there this feeling of being cast out as it were? And maybe the mother is part of that casting out process as well as just part of feeling like, well, if we've lost this, then surely we must be rejected. And did the mother reject us or is that the way they perceived it?
1: Yeah. That's kind of how I came to, when he walked out of the house and said, I must be unworthy. Yeah. You know, well, even my mother doesn't love me anymore. Even my mother won't hold me anymore. It's the final nail in the coffin. That's just like, okay, I'm in the shadow now. You yeah. know, there was like a piece of hope before he went to the mother. And yeah. then when he was rejected again, it was just like, nope, yeah. your your life is going in a different direction now.
0: So then I'm curious of before he gets to locking himself in the cage, you describe the path he goes on and you can almost see this de-evolution, so to speak, of this man as he begins to break down he feels the weight of everything that he is going through and has gone through he's carrying this this big club behind him this heavy club which i'm curious if you have some thoughts on on what he's carrying in that club maybe jump off of of that and just share anything else about that stage of the journey
1: yeah so it is a deevolution think of like gollum from lord of the rings mm. he he turns into this creature you know who still Resembles loosely a human being, but it's like people don't want to be around him, <laughs> and so the club. I feel like it's a a metaphor for the pain.
2: Yeah.
1: It's this huge weighted club. I mean, picture like Fred Flintstone. It's like giant. You know, it's a huge weighted club, but we have to notice that he's holding on to it. He won't let it go, and he's dragging it along with him willingly. So there's something in there that I want to sit with more. And I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. But to me, that club is the pain. He's not learning to hold it in a way that is, is serving him or serving life. He's just dragging it along with him and it's hurting him.
0: It's interesting to me because I also relate to it as, as kind of the weight of pain that is there. But it's interesting to me that the symbol is a club. He's not walking around like Atlas with some big rock, big boulder on his shoulders, right? Instead, he's walking around with a club. And so to me, what I associate that with is what do we end up doing with our pain? End up creates beating destruction, people with it. It creates harm. It creates violence, right? What the old phrase, and, and I, I know it from Father Richard Rohr. I think he was quoting somebody else. Hurt people hurt people. So we walk around with this pain, and it takes the form of one way or the other. We're going to defend. We're going to attack. We're going to deconstruct right we're going to destroy maybe even a better way of saying it and so it's interesting to me that the weight of the pain takes the form of a club
1: and we see it in the story you know he becomes exactly. an abuser he's raping women he's he's hitting them he's you know he's destroying everything that he comes in contact with and yeah. it really is that the metaphor of like that pain creates pain
0: yeah and then there's this moment where he knows there's that little part of him inside, but the little part of him can't take back over yet. And he makes the choice to lock himself in the cage. I'm curious about your thoughts or what that has spoken to you, because that's very interesting to me that I'm no longer going to keep doing this, but the way that I'm going to protect others and protect myself is by locking myself away.
1: You know, that may be something that I'm being called to sit with more. Hmm. It's a symbol of protection. So the little, beautiful, benevolent, loving, caring piece of this man is like, I need to keep myself safe. And I don't want to hurt people. So we're going to make sure that this other big part of me can't hurt anyone. And I'll stay safe. I'll be kept in here. And I see in my own life how I have... Locked away the beautiful parts of me, because I have been rejected, you know, shown massive amounts of joy when I was a child and my parents, you know, kind of struck me down for it. And so over a lifetime of that as a man or as a woman, you're like, okay, I can't show this part of myself and, and be safe. You know, you just get torn down. And so I think there's a piece of, of protection in there, not only for others, but, you know, for yourself. There's a relation there to the feeling unworthy that I haven't really put together yet.
0: As you talk, the one thing I'll add is it feels like as we experience different phases, right? We don't have to go as extreme as, as what the, the journey of this man has been, but we go through those phases where we get very off track in the shadow. And what it feels like to me is that in that period of time, it feels like we're accumulating, for lack of a better term, shame. Blame and guilt. And ultimately, when we decide we want to come back from that path, but because of the shame, blame, and guilt, we don't deserve to be out in the world anymore. Mm-hmm. So we lock ourselves away. Like you said, it's a protection mechanism, it's a safety mechanism. We can say that it's to protect others, but in reality, it's really self protection for keeping ourselves distant from keeping ourselves isolated from others. I want to ask this to, to all the listeners, but I ask you to, to reply further if you choose to, is to reflect on how do you lock yourself away? What are the things that you do to isolate yourself from others? What are the things you do to hide from others? And I'm curious if there's any, anything else along those lines that you choose to expand on.
1: Well, man, I did it for 10 years as a workaholic, working seven days a week. I mean, a part of it was I wanted to get a house, you know, but there was another part of me that was like, all my friends were doing all these fun things. And it was like, I I don't really want to connect with people that way. I don't want that kind of intimacy. That's opening a door, you know, to getting hurt. And frankly, I don't feel worthy of having that much fun, you know? Yeah. And so I locked myself away in the form of a workaholic where it was just day after day, night after night, seven days a week, I was working. And when my friends were doing all this fun stuff, I wasn't. I look at like even where I'm at today and you know, I've had two marriages that didn't last. And there are ways that I ran away from intimate connection with them as well. And that's one of the bigger challenges that I, I feel I've come into this lifetime to, to work on is that depth of intimacy. And there's a level of trusting the people that you're allowing into your life knowing that they are trustworthy, choosing the right people, but there's also a level of trusting yourself, trusting life to hold you, trusting that we are worthy of feeling that love and that intimacy, and that's an ongoing journey for me.
0: The way I'll state it is like listen, working too much, having an extra drink, all those things I've I've experienced with in my life. And at the same time, I think the one that was most common or the one that popped up the most was that as far as anybody else was concerned, I was Mr. Calm, Cool, and Collected. Mm -hmm. And they didn't know that I was scared shitless inside all the time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it was literally just this act of don't let them see you sweat. And so I would lock away all the feeling. I'd lock away all the emotion. And I'd lock all those things down. And I really wouldn't let myself, because I'd lock all that down because I didn't want to feel that pain. And some of that's from my history as well. But what that did is it also prevented me from being able to just enjoy the moments of life that I was experiencing at any given time. I didn't have as much access to joy and to happiness and to bliss because I was just shut it down because I didn't want to have that full range of emotions. And the only times I could experience some of those moments was not real bliss, wasn't real joy, it was pleasure through things like having a drink. And you know, achieving the next thing because that was like dopamine hit of, of being able to achieve the next milestone that I went out to achieve. And that was my substitute, you know, and that's the only way I could get that little spark, that little taste of what I was actually after, which was peace and joy and bliss and balance and, you know, total different orientation in my life. Right. And so anyway, it's, we all have these different ways and you can lock yourself away literally through isolation. You can do it through wearing masks. You can do it through the way that you block vulnerability. You could do it through dishonesty. You can do it through substances. I mean, there's many different ways that we create that locked down self. And it's just to be aware of it, right? It just, it is what it is. The more aware of what we become, now we can decide, is this really the way that I choose to live my life going forward? And what help do I need if I need to make some of those changes? Now, the next part of it, speaking to that help, you go to the cage. You, Ryan, go to the cage and you begin to sit with and speak with this man if I ask you this, because before when I asked you about the meaning of the story, one of the things that you started to say was this tendency, this pull that we're feeling towards a new way of living, towards a new way of leading, maybe even a new way of relating. So tell me about what transpired for you in your conversations with the man. Meaning we know what you were reinforcing in him. We know that he then begins to take on his original essence, his essential form. But what was changing in you?
1: Yeah, thanks, Luke. I do look at this man's story as my own. And I see so many similarities of, you know, obviously a much lesser scale of, you know, I'm not doing what, he's, what he was doing, but I do see it as me. And so I went to the cage and I, I poured love into him. And so as I was doing that, I was pouring love into myself. And, you know, the salt bath is a great, you know, over those two, three weeks, I was in the salt bath every night. And so I was pouring love into myself too. And, you know, I had just lost all of my financial wealth. I had just lost my marriage. My band had just ended all of these big things. And so there was a lot of turmoil in my life at the moment. But as I was pouring love into this man, I was pouring love into myself. The impact that those losses had on my life started to lessen. Mm. And it was like I was able to feel the emotion and I was also able to feel a shit ton of joy.
2: Mm.
1: I realized that so much of what I was running away from in my life was this joy. This joy that was growing inside of me. And I'm still experiencing it today. The more I sit out in nature, the more this joy just continues to bubble up in me. And it was like, oh my God, is this what I was afraid of the whole time? Is this what was so terrifying? And I'm sure there's other things, but that's something that has been a huge shift for me is even amidst this huge domino of losses that has been in my life, I've been able to experience more profound joy than I ever have.
0: It's interesting, and I'm I'm going to ask a question of both of us that uh, I have no idea where this is going to go, but let's see what happens. I've also seen this personally, and I've experienced this with a lot of clients that I have worked with through the years. We think of fears, but usually when we think of fear, we think of the fear of you know what's going to happen. We think of the fears we're going to be rejected. We think of the fears our needs aren't going to be met. But for a moment, what do you think we fear? in joy.
1: I think we fear that we're gonna lose it. Just like this man lost it. Mm. So much of what he experienced was joy and it was taken away like that. And we don't want to feel that pain of that again. Yeah. And I feel it all the time as this joy comes up. I'm like, is this gonna last? I notice this hesitancy in me of like, okay, I'm I'm laugh crying now, but you know Is it safe to do that you know and so i think that we fear the loss i think that's a big big part of it i know we all have some form of an abandonment wound but that was huge for me in my relationship my recent relationship was things were really great for a time and i feared the loss of that and so did she Mm. and we created the ending of our relationship out of that fear you know, so it's interesting how fear becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy of we fear the loss and through that fear, we actually create it.
0: Yeah, it is interesting. And I I, I think you're very much on the, you know, on point with we fear some of these incredible states of being like joy because we fear that we're going to lose it all over again. And in many instances, we either didn't make it through or we barely made it through the last time that we had that loss. And so we question, oh my God, if I could to go through that again, I don't know if I can do it. And I absolutely relate to that. And you know, as, as I've looked at different phases of my life and I've, I've thought about different things I wanted to take on as the example, different things I wanted to get into, it is that fear of, my God, you know, I've been through that before. And what if it doesn't work out again? I don't know if I can pick myself back up a third time, a fourth time, a fifth time. And at what point do I just lock myself back in the cage to keep myself safe?
1: We hear it all the time. With people with intimate relationships, that's one of the biggest wounds that we have of, you know, a woman will say, oh, I'm done with relationships. I'm, I'm going to be single till I die. And men will say the same thing.
0: Yeah. I was also going to ask, you know, what is it that we fear in love? And part of it is the loss. But I also think that with love, because it's in relationship, we fear what's going to be exposed right we fear what's going to be seen within us and is that what's going to create the loss like are we going to be exposed as as a fraud or not that good of a man or not that good of a woman or whatever the case may be where we feel like we're going to be rejected it's such a deep exposed level that we will be shattered as you described the man losing his his wife and daughter that way we will be shattered i also feel
1: like there's a fear of the merging there's like a fear that Through merging with another person, we'll lose ourselves. Yeah. And I know I fucking did that in my last marriage. And I actually grieved the loss of myself more than I grieved the loss of the relationship. But it was such an intense merging. It was, it was very unconscious and ended up being a very toxic relationship, but it showed me a lot. And so I do think that on a subconscious level, there is a fear of that merging of. We're putting our bank accounts together, and we're moving into a house together. And I don't have my own space anymore. I feel like there is a fear of that. Like we're going to lose who we are in a relationship too, along with we're going to lose that love that we're experiencing.
0: It's a, another good way of saying because I even see that in this sense of, in not just our intimate relationships, but I see that at a collective level right now, where we're seeing this unbelievable polarity around individualism and collectivism. And I think there's a lot of misunderstanding as to all of these things, as there usually is, because there's a whole lot of gray. It's not anywhere near black and white or you know, left, right, this, that, whatever. And there is that feeling of how is it that I can be both an individual, but also belong to something that gives me that sense of deep connection with others, but in a way that enhances who I am. I don't lose myself in that. Mm. And we're watching that.